Welcome to the I Look Like a Doctor podcast, the podcast dedicated to interviewing physicians underrepresented in medicine to inspire the next generation. I am your host, Sarah Torres. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. I hope that you're all feeling rested from the holidays or from winter break. Uh, sorry for the delay in posting a new podcast episode. The end of the year just got really crazy for me, and I decided to take the time to um, unplug during my winter break, and now I'm back. And so without further ado, let me go ahead and introduce our next podcast guest, Dr. Maricela Tony Patran. She is a current fourth-year physician resident at the Loma Linda University Psychiatry Residency located in Southern California. Born in Long Beach, California to immigrant parents from Mexico, Dr. Beltran brings invaluable life experiences and perspectives to the field of psychiatry. She graduated from the University of California, Berkeley with her bachelor's in psychiatry and Spanish bilingualism issues. Thereafter, Dr. Beltran pursued her passion for community health by obtaining a master's in public health from California State University, Long Beach. She entered medical school at the University of California, Irvine, where she participated in the program in medical education for the Latino community, or PRIME-LC for short, which focused primarily on developing physician leaders ready to address health disparities and advocate for Latinx communities and beyond. Throughout her career, Dr. Paltron has worked passionately to advocate for Latinx communities through research and community outreach. In 2010, Dr. Paltron started working for Border Angels, which is a nonprofit organization that advocates for humane immigration reform and social justice as well as provides education, supplies, and health screenings to the immigrant populations at the U.S.-Mexican border in San Diego, California. In 2016, Dr. Beltran received a $15,000 grant to implement community mental health research in Santa Ana, California. Additional research projects of Dr. Beltran include analysis of addiction patterns in immigrant communities, community-based interventions addressing childhood obesity in Latinx communities, and investigation of depression and burnout in medical school. It is such a pleasure to have her on the podcast today. Hi, Dr. Petran. How are you? Hey, I'm doing really well. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Welcome to the I Look Like a Doctor podcast. Yay, I'm so excited. I'm excited too. You know, I just noticed that we're both wearing the same color. <laughs> it's fall, fall vibes, you know? That's true. That's true. Yep. They got to get like the mustard yeah. uh, shirt going. So I wanted to start off by asking you um, what brought you to to becoming a physician, how did you know that you, that's what you wanted to do? Yeah. Um, so that will take me back to, um, I think I was in, in junior high. I, um, I grew up, um, in Paramount, which is like near Long Beach. And mm -hmm. both my parents were born in Mexico. Um, and my mom and dad were both like fresh out of high school when I was born. And so my dad actually ended up going into drug trafficking like try to make ends meet and then we lived like in a very different neighborhood like it was like basically like a little Mexican neighborhood and and I realized early early on in my life that the community that I lived in and that I that I loved and that was raising mm -hmm. me didn't have access to a lot of things that we needed mm -hmm. including health care um and in sixth grade I just in, like started doing research about it and I got lucky where um, I had some really good mentors um, who helped me pursue um, like higher education because that wasn't even, you know, I'm the first family to go to college. So they 
that wasn't something that I was like aiming for because I, right. I wanted to become a physician. Then they're like, oh, well, you have to go to college first. So wait, so this was in sixth grade, yes, you're saying? Yes. Oh I'm my wild. gosh. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. It's like unheard of really like at this or sixth grade, maybe like high school, but that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's because I saw my, so my mom, um, so my dad ended up being incarcerated for seven years. And then my mom um, was a single mom. So I saw how much she goes struggling. And so it was always on my mind to look up, um, you know, how can I help her? And so mm-hmm. grade, mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, well, this, they make good money. And, um, you know, I can also like help the community that I'm in. But that was what my motivation was, you know, just to like not see my mom struggle. Mm-hmm. It's a very noble profession. And yeah, you are compensated well for it. But if you were to go back in time, would you tell yourself, well, it's also going to be very hard <laughs> to get into, into that profession? No, you know what? Honestly, like sometimes when people ask me like, oh, what is, you know, should I go to med school? Can you give me advice? And I always encourage them to do it if that's the absolute only thing they can see themselves doing. Because I tried to get away from medicine, um, and it just kept like calling me back. Yeah. So um, I feel like if you're doing it because this is like your passion and you love it, then by all means, you'll be able to deal with the med school years and like, yeah, you know, residency. Um, otherwise, you'll be miserable. Right. Absolutely agree with you. It's funny because I, since you know my husband too, I've told I've t- I've told him so many times like why didn't you just talk me out of this <laughs> because it's so hard. He's like, this is all you've ever wanted to do, and I'm like, it's true. I I I've thought it within myself just reflecting like, can I do something else? And I, I just can't. I can't see myself doing literally anything else. So as hard as this path is, I'm gonna go through it because this is what I what I want. Especially, um, you know, like as it pertains to this podcast that you're, that you've created, um, it's hard for me sometimes to look at pre-med students who come from underserved communities. And I know how much harder it's going to be for them than the regular med student. Um, I also understand that they have so much more to bring to the table and so much more to offer. Like that perspective that they have is just so unique and that patients need it. So a part of me wants to be like, Oh no, honey, don't do it. But another part of it, but I need to yourself. I'm just kidding. But I need, you know, because those are the people that um that I currently that in during residency I turn to when I need advice or that I, you know, when I'm getting a little bit uninspired, I go and look at how they're practicing their motivation. And so then I'm like, okay. It's so true too, because even now, like I, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started recording and all and you know, and I explained that the demographic here is so different. And so coming from Southern California, where I would at least see, you know, sometimes some um, Latinx positions. And now that I come here, I literally have only been with one Latin attending. Wow. And it's, it makes it really hard sometimes for me to f- remember like, what, well, why am I doing this? Like, why? And then I look around and I'm like, all right, like, because there needs to be more representation and needs to be more people that look like me in this profession. Um, but that being said, it, I also need to be connected with other underrepresented, uh, physicians to, to kind of keep inspiring me and keep giving me that, that fuel I need to keep going. So absolutely, 
That's also another reason why I started this podcast, because then it gives me the opportunity to talk to uh, physicians underrepresented in medicine. Oh, that's so. wonderful. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And like, I think um, that's one of the things that I would encourage um, students to do throughout all of their career is just find mm-hmm. that group of people that has that shared mission that you do um, and continually will just thrive off of each other. So. Um, as you know, I went to the Prime LC program in Earth mm-hmm. and everybody there is so mission driven. And um, I remember thinking to myself at the time, was well, this an extra year of training? You know, I didn't get offered a scholarship like I did at another place. And I was really debating. But then at the end of the day, I realized all of those people that I'm going to be making connections with, like those are my colleagues forever. Mm-hmm. It was really mm-hmm. only because of those like-minded individuals in that community that I was able to get through med school. And so ever since then, when I go to a different institution, I try to find those people, you know, like yeah. my people. Yeah. <laughs> my people. Yeah. yeah, it's true. So you were mentioning, um, we were kind of touched on that a little bit on how hard it is to get to go through this journey. Mm-hmm. So I was just wondering a little bit, um, how did you get your start? Like, did you go to like community college? Did you go straight to an undergrad? Um, did you take a gap year? How was the MCAT? Kind of, yeah, some, just some topics in there. <laughs> so I'm going to get like a little bit of PTSD, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, you know, you just, like think back, it's like really nice to reflect because sometimes, so I, I, I appreciate you asking me to be on this podcast because sometimes you get caught up in the daily you know, events, and like always as physicians and as high achievers, we're always thinking of the, about the next thing, but it's mm-hmm. like a minute and then look back and reflect on, oh my gosh, yeah, we've come a really long way. We've done a lot. Right. Um, yeah. So in high school, um, there were, because the school was um, so under-resourced, they had tracks so that they track you into like you know, college bound group and then everybody else. And I, I just got lucky. Somebody like thought that maybe I had potential. Um, and I just um, got tracked into this like high school bound, you know, doing SATs and all of this. And I got into Berkeley. So I went straight from high school to Berkeley. Um, but it was such a contrast from like my upbringing and everyone there was so smart and I was like, okay, I'm going to do like GCHEM and everybody in my class, there's 600 people in my class, in my GCHEM class. It's like a really, that's hundred. That's how Berkeley is. It's crazy. Like I remember oh my professor was like a, like a little aunt. Like, okay. <laughs> um, I got really discouraged because I got a C in my GCHEM class and this was my first year. And my advisor said I couldn't get into med school because I had a C. Um, she asked me to consider like other career options. Um, and I was just like devastated. I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm not smart enough. I literally felt like mm-hmm. an alien there because mm-hmm. yeah. it just wasn't, you know, most people had like the private tutoring. And then I just realized how much I was lacking, even though my community had, had invested so much in me and they tracked me into this very special track. It's still not the same as like what I can provide for my kids now, you know, it's just like a different experience. So I thought that, that I I believed that counselor and I said like, okay, well, I'm going to take 
time off and, you know, I'm going to just like not do school at all. I'm going to just, um, I flipped the coin and it was between like Florida and Hawaii. And I said, I'm going to like take time off from, from Berkeley and just Mm -hmm. go there and not like open one book, not, you know, just work. Um, Mm -hmm. and I thought if I still want to do this after, then I'll come back. So I moved to Hawaii for a year and I just surfed and met people and like, that's amazing. (laughs) Experiences. And I'm so glad that I like took that time. Um, Mm -hmm. and then when I went back to Berkeley two years later, there were a lot of people that were doing like a biology scholarship program. There's this like track or a a group Mm -hmm. that they help people like who come from underserved communities to achieve success in the STEM fields. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they reached out to me and they said, hey, we saw that you're in general bio or something. Do you want to be part of this group? And I was just like, oh, Mm -hmm. sure, of course. And that's where Mm -hmm. like I met all of these other people who come from my background. This Mm -hmm. time when I came to Berkeley, I was among them and I felt like, yes, I can do this. I belong here. You know, you always get that imposter syndrome, like, yeah, shouldn't be here. Um, and so then I graduated from Berkeley and because I didn't finish all the pre-med requirements, I did like an informal post-bac at San Francisco mm-hmm. State and finished all the requirements, um, studied for the MCAT. But then for the MCAT, I felt like I needed extra time. So I actually took like an extra year to study. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was like discouraged by a lot of people like well that's like you're taking too much time and mm-hmm. you know like it's not good to be away from school for so long application wise but something right, that right. was important to me and that I had been away from my family for so long right I lo- like I took that whole year just to be with them mm-hmm. and like I would study and then like you know like my grandma would bring me food my mom and my brothers were all there so nice. like such a great experience so I feel like that time I needed for myself as well Mm -hmm. Um, and then I went to UC Irvine um, and during men's school um, I actually got married had two babies Um, oh my gosh oh can we like stop there just like really quick (laughs) just because me being in medical school now I cannot even imagine having two kids can you touch on that a little bit, how that was for you? Yes, it was a lot. It was a lot. I, I honestly um, didn't, you know, I, I didn't know how crazy med school was going to be. Um, and then I had my first son and the second one was like a pleasant surprise. And so then mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, no, what am I going to do? And I thought, <laughs> I thought maybe I, I'll have to like take a year off. But um, I was really fortunate in that um, they let me rearrange my my five year curriculum so that I could do my master's my second year. It mm-hmm. was still like a lot of it was still a lot. Um, and then I just had the great fortune of having like my family again support me. So my dad retired and he just came to stay with us. And he just basically was there 24 hours because, you know, our schedules are so crazy. Right, right. So crazy and different rotations. Um, so there were times like when I was on surgery or when I was on um, OB that I didn't see the kids for like a whole week, except like while they're sleeping. So I would oh like leave when they're sleeping 
come home and they're sleeping and I would just like watch them sleep for a little bit and then go to bed and then leave again. Um, So it was, I feel like I missed out a lot on their very early years. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, at the same time, I feel like they were such a motivation to continue to do well in med school Mm. that I just don't see how else I could have gotten through it. I think that's everything that you just said is really interesting because I feel like did you when you were in okay hold on so you what years were you when you had each of your your children my first year of med school and then Mm -hmm. um, my second year of so this is a joint program um, Mm -hmm. MPH and so Mm -hmm. I did my MPH year at um, Long Beach my second year so it was first and second year so then when I Oh, I see. Okay. Um, I had two babies under two. Um, and then I started second year of med school. Oh my gosh. Okay. So then knowing all of that, um, once you started your rotations, did you ever feel that kind of sense of like guilt because you weren't there like during their early years? And like, how did you process that? I, I, I feel like that's something that like women deal with a lot. Just like that guilt of like, oh, I'm not there with my children. Like, yes. How did, how did you get through that? Um, I definitely felt that. And I felt that so much. Like I felt like I, mm. I always knew when, since I was very young that I wanted to be a physician, but I also equally desired to be a mother. Like that was always mm-hmm. something that I just wanted to do. And so it was hard because I daily, I felt like I'm choosing between both, you know? Right. Um, and, yeah. you know, in medicine, is sometimes unforgiving that way, especially to women. Um, they're not flexible with your schedule times. And um, it was really hard for me because, you know, I just would get like video clips of the boys and what they were doing. But I also took comfort in that they were with my family mm-hmm. and not like at a, you know, like with a stranger or like a daycare. So that right. made me feel better, you know, because I knew what values right. they were instilling in them. And um, and then I learned in psychiatry, I remember when I rotated in third year, um, they were like, well, don't worry. Like, they won't remember things when they're like maybe five and under. So you still have time. <laughs> they won't have like, their long-term <laughs> memories. Uh-huh. Like, oh, okay, good. They won't like be upset. They won't remember <laughs> <laughs> you know, that I wasn't there. No, but. But, you know, it, it, it definitely, it, it definitely is a constant, constant reminder that you have to, I mean, you're juggling all of these different things. And, mm-hmm. um, oftentimes I would, you know, want to spend time with them, but then I have to study as well. So right. It's not just like the time in, in clinic, for example, or at the hospital, but, um, yeah, like I said, I feel like I was really lucky that my family was supportive and then that's mm-hmm. the way that I made peace with did you were you ever like did you have any reservations on like okay this is the time to start my family or like did you kind of go through that whole internal struggle because I feel like I definitely go through that internal struggle all the time as to like when is the best time I know there is never the best time but like really like I it's just something I always think about yes yes and I think that uh, I definitely had those thoughts so I was I, you know, I, my journey to med school was a little bit non-traditional. So then I was 30 by the time I started med school. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt like, you know, my, my clock is ticking. I felt like all of this, yeah. like, I felt like I really wanted to have a family and I didn't want to be 
Um, I didn't want to wait until residency was over because then I'd be like 40 and, you know, just like, right. Right. Um, I definitely asked a lot of, um, um, attendings, a lot of females who I saw doing it. And a lot of them basically said, if you are thinking about it, um, and you feel like this is the right time and you have the right social support for it, Mm. just do it now because in med school, you have the ability to like, you know, miss a rotation if you really absolutely have to. Mm -hmm. When you're in practice or in residency, it's so much harder. Right, Um, right. And then you're like other people depend on you and your colleagues and have to kind of make up for you. So I, yeah. (laughs) Although it's never easy to like have to choose to, you know, extend any, Mm. any time, but um, it definitely, I can see why they suggested doing it in med school rather than in residency. Mm. My fourth year of residency, and I know the first two years of residency, just impossible. Like it's mm-hmm. just for me, for me personally, um, I feel like you're doing just as much work, but now they're your patients and they're your responsibility. And then your colleagues are like depending on you. So right. I think that, that the people that I spoke to were really wise and honest and a lot of them you know were really forthcoming about how difficult it was going to be your med schools are really 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 hard and right you know like you're basically sleep deprived the first three to five years of their life and so mm-hmm. you're just like okay so I'm just running on like you know caffeine okay, yeah caffeine. and hoping for the best you know um mm-hmm. so I did have like a lot of times when I was I would go into my closet and just cry, you know, like take like mommy time out. So yeah, this is so much like this is just a lot. But it was also really rewarding because it was allowing me to like grow into this person that just was like able to manage all of these things. Like you become such an amazing multitasker. It's crazy. <laughs> right. Well, you ha- at that point, you have no choice. You have to adapt. <laughs> no, I could do that. Okay. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's all such great advice. I've also like asked moms that I've seen like in the field and, um, they all have had like similar responses as to what you, what you said, like there is never the perfect time, but the perfect time for you should be when, when it is perfect for you, basically, like, because medicine in general, like you're never going to have the perfect time, but if you feel that you're ready and you have that social support there to help you through it, then do it. Um, they were also saying too, they're like, oh, like, um, fourth year is the perfect time to, <laughs> to do it. So I definitely like, you know, if, if you have like, um, if you have support from your family and like, you know, you just talk to them ahead of time. I remember having a very, um, honest conversation with my parents and I was like, okay, like, this is what I'm, I'm planning to do. And they've all mm-hmm. been like supportive. Um, but my stepdad was what happened to be retiring that year. Mm-hmm. And um, he was like, well, I'll just, you know, like, I'll just basically dedicate my whole life to being like your full time nanny. And it was just like that. And then I felt like I can do this, you know, like, OK, right. Do it. Right. Um, so I think if you have the social support, by all means, like, go for it. If that's something that's really important to you. Right. I think that's a really good message to send to all the female listeners that um, would like to start a family and don't know when or don't even have anybody to ask. So thank you for sharing 
that part of it. All right. So then moving on from, from that topic, um, I wanted to ask, like, how was your experience in medical school in general, in the sense of, did you feel that you were supported through medical school? Was it difficult for you to get through it? Um, or what little kind of like words of advice do you have for current medical students? Yeah. I mean, I feel like med school is, I was just sharing with you earlier how like I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy because it's so <laughs> intense. Um, I mean, you're in it and, and rightly so in a way because you're training to become someone who is going to save other people's lives, you know, mm-hmm. not like the kind of follow through that's required, like all that diligence and the studying. Um, it's all I feel like now I get it. I understand a little bit why it's so intense, but at the same time, um, it's, it was a lot for me. I felt like it was so much when I came back to second year and then I had my two babies, um, under basically under two. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember clearly I was running between breaks to go pump and then go back to like my lecture. And Mm -hmm. it felt like this was, crazy it was just like so much and at that time they didn't even have a pumping room so I would have to like go and like find my own space and and, yeah and I felt like okay well I'm maybe one of the first in here at at Irvine to do this um and so we I really like advocated for them to like have a a lactation room and now they have that and I felt like like UC Irvine was very um accommodating in so many ways um and so I think I felt like because I was with the prime program, um, I would always just go to them and talk to Dr. Vega or Jose Rea and say like, hey, like this is what I really, really need. Or like I need extra time for test taking because I was so sleep deprived that I like couldn't access my information fast enough, like, you know, mm-hmm. no matter how much I studied. Um, mm-hmm. And and they really like were super accommodating, very, very sweet. Um and then the clinical years, med school was, so I, I'll share with you that um, I failed my step one um, mm-hmm. first time. Um, and so I was just like, oh my God, like I'm never going to get through med school. Like this is just like, right. just the nightmare. Um, and I felt like it wasn't reflective of everything that I, that I had learned. And like, I really felt mm-hmm. like, dude, I know all this stuff. I studied so hard, but also mm-hmm. taking skills that are required are, you know, that's just like a whole different, a whole different issue. Um, for me, at least it was, I was, I had a lot of like test taking anxiety and I all yeah. constantly felt like I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I didn't study enough, you know, like, cause I was a mom, I felt like maybe I was not doing the most that I could do. So then I retook it. I passed it barely by like a point. Mm-hmm. And um, then I went to my clinical years and that's when I really felt like, okay, I can do this because in the mm-hmm. years, even though it was really, it, the, the days were really, really long, but I got to see the patient and right. that, I was like, yes, like, this is what it is. This is what I've been wanting. This is why I mm-hmm. stuck in a hole, missing, missing all social <laughs> events. Right. Study. It's hard mm-hmm. first and second year when you don't have the clinical experience and you're so focused on the knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't feel real. And then, right, it doesn't. And it's just like, really, like, I really need to know the whole Krebs cycle again. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I studying the Krebs cycle again? 
I thought we were done with yeah. this. <laughs> and third, third and fourth year were actually probably some of my best years in med school. Um, and I just felt like um, I selected the attendings that I thought, you know, at, at Irvine, you, you have some flexibility. So I remember um, I had the option to like select some of my preceptors from the prime program. And so like, it was just like such a nice experience. That's nice. Mm -hmm. I think that's what helped me as well, because, you know, I would go, um, I know your last guest was Dr. Angulo and um, I, his clinic to do my family medicine rotation. And I saw someone that looked like me and I saw someone that mm -hmm. was treating the population that I wanted to treat. I think that was really rewarding, but yeah. um, then step two was really, really also hard. Um, luckily I passed, um, but I will share also that because of my step one, um, when I applied to residency, the first time I applied to med psych programs and I didn't uh -huh. get in anywhere. Like I literally didn't match. Is the, I have a friend that's actually applying to med psych programs. Is it true? Is it that there's only like five or like, I guess like only a handful in the country, right? Yes. Oh my goodness. So I didn't plan like the best, but... <laughs> Because <laughs> um, you know you can also so the second time around I applied to so I'll share this part with you. Um, I mm -hmm. didn't. I got that email that like dreaded email that everyone's like, oh my god, what if I don't match? Like, yeah, that was me. And there was like only one other person in my oh my school where uh -huh. I had to go to the dean's office and uh -huh. they were like really pressuring me to do the scramble or like where you know it's like where you basically. Um, you see what spots are open and it doesn't matter mm -hmm. if the specialty you want or not. Um, and most of them are like unfilled spots in like the Midwest. It, it didn't matter what specialty though. So it would just be they, any, you just like go. Um, and then you're going to apply again if you want to go into a, a different specialty, but like you don't miss a year. Oh, um, well, I think, but would that then count as your intern year and then you'll start like as a PGY too, or how was always, that going? Not always that you might have, just start as a as a first year again so it's oh really it's, it's not ideal and so remember mm -hmm. um there was like several places in chicago and the way that the, the scramble works is you apply to like every single position that's open mm -hmm. and then literally you'll get calls from those places um at the mm -hmm. same time and they'll say like they're interviewing and then you have to tell them like rank again like rank these places again and mm -hmm. I remember um, they were pressuring me to like, just pick one. They were like, no, you have to pick one. You have to pick one. Um, and there was, they were like in Chicago. They were really far away from my family. And do you remember what specialties they were? I think internal medicine or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. But, I, but, I, but I said, well, you know what? I have these, I have two toddlers and I don't think my parents can like, just get up and like move to Chicago with me. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, well, you know, you can visit them. You can visit the kids. Like in their mind, I should just select any one of these places and just go and then, you know, just be away from my kids. Like they just saw that as like a normal thing. And I'm like, I can't do that. Yeah. I can't, I can't <laughs> just like leave my kids, you know? Right. And, but to them, it, they were really upset. I remember the dean was like, you're making a mistake you know, if you don't take these opportunities, then you're not going to match and like, you're going to waste this whole year. And I was like, no, I know that there has to be like some other way. Like it cannot just be like this. So 
I left after like the first round because I was like, I'm not going to pick any of these places. Like I would rather stay mm-hmm. here, you know, maybe not go to residency for a year, do something else and I'll figure it out. And I just felt like such a conviction about it. Like, no, I'm, I need to be with my family. I need to do what's right for, for us. And so then it worked out to where um, UC Irvine had someone not for internal medicine, someone not be able to start residency. Mm-hmm. So then um, because I had had such amazing mentors um, and attendings, um, one of them reached out to me and was like, hey, this came up and I know you're sitting mm-hmm. and um, they agreed to offer it to you. So I just like got lucky and like ended up getting offered an internal medicine, um, the intern year, basically. At Earth. Oh, my, oh, it's like the transition year, right? Or is it like that? Or it's okay. a transition year. I mean, it's like, basically, it's, it's a transition year. Okay. And so I didn't have to move. I didn't have to like leave my kids. Like nothing awesome. changed. I was still in the same like EMR. Like everything was just like, thank you, Jesus. Because yeah. I like, it just, I just felt in my heart, like something's going to have to work out. Um, I was also applying to other places like in the Central Valley, family medicine programs. Um, and so it was a lot more work, obviously, to like reapply the next year. Uh-huh. doing intern year. And I was reapplying. Um, so you're like reapplying for the match, right? Applying Is... for, for residency all over. Okay. Because you're. Oh my gosh. Yes, I was only given one year <laughs> at home. So you're reapplying when you're an intern. You know, like those crazy nights and like no sleep. Right. And, um, and you have your family that you're balancing there too. And oh my gosh, I cannot even imagine how how you must have felt when you when you found out that you didn't match. And then like it seems that you had support, but there was also just like all that unnecessary pressure. And like I I don't even know what I would have done in that situation. So the, the, in, the, the people that were supportive were the prime people, the okay. mm-hmm. um, medical education for the Latino community. Those were the most supportive. But this is like already, you know, this is above them. Like when you don't match. Mm-hmm. So then my, when I was in my first year residency, I um, was reapplying. And so, you know, you're like resubmitting, you're like writing your personal statement again, like basically like doing it all over. Um, and this oh time I was like, okay, I have to apply more broadly. I'm going to apply to the med psych programs. I'm also going to apply to psych and also internal medicine. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I remember when I first applied, um, the limiting factor was um, financial as well, because applying to all of these places wasn't financially reasonable for me. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like, OK, well, I can't I really have to narrow it down. And um, most people are applying to like 60 to 100 places. Yeah. Um, and can you can you I'm, I'm not sure how much they even cost. Can you, can you kind of share a little bit of how much is it? Hundreds of dollars, like after the first I think if I had applied to like all the med psych and, and psych and mm-hmm. internal medicine programs that I was interested in, um, mm-hmm. it was like $1,500 or almost $2,000. And like, you know, you're a med student, you don't have oh my a budget. I have my kid I'm supporting. Like, it was just like, this is reasonable. Right. So then this time around, I applied to more places um, mm-hmm. and I had saved up money because I knew like, okay, this time I'm going to have to apply more broadly and I got a call from where I am now which is Loma Linda mm-hmm. and they said 
hey, we want to interview you, but we want to interview you for a second year position because we had like an unfortunate passing of one of our residents and we have a spot open and we see that you already done one year or that you're in your first year. So I was like, perfect. Like, great. Was it for, for psychiatry then? Psychiatry, yeah. Because I, I applied to a lot of different places. And fortunately, this time around, I did get a lot of interviews and they were like, okay, mm-hmm. places, then none of them would allow me to um, start at the second year, except for local. Mm-hmm. I would have to repeat like my whole intern year. And that's like, mm-hmm. like who wants to repeat intern year? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> what? Just from me being on my rotations, I can see how intense interns have to work. So they were like super, super sweet. And, um, you know, it was, it was, I think, around Christmas time. And they just said, like, if you're going to take it, you know, like it's yours. And then now I'm in my fourth year here at Loma Linda. Amazing. And how do you like it? I love it. I love it. I mean, it's it's hard. It was hard to transition from like Irvine to um, a whole different EMR system. Um, Loma Linda is an Adventist community. So it's mm-hmm. like just a very small uh, group of people and they're all wonderful, like super sweet, Christian, like kind hearted. Um, but it's just mm-hmm. like different cult- cultural for, for me. My cults mm-hmm. are amazing and um, and I'm doing psychiatry. So I get to see like all of the patients that I really love. And mm-hmm. um, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm currently like living my best life right now. <laughs> And this is your last year, right? My last year, yes. Oh my gosh, how exciting. Finally, finally. <laughs> Do you have any idea of, of where you want to go next? Well, um, I because I am a glutton for punishment, I think I'm going to do a fellowship here after this. Amazing. And a fellowship in what? In consult liaison psychiatry. Oh, amazing. That's funny because we were just talking about it prior to starting the podcast. Um, what makes you want to do a fellowship in that? So I really like, so I still could never, um, I didn't lose my love for internal medicine. I really was like mm-hmm. torn between internal and psych from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it allows me to do both, you know, like academic setting I see new cases all the time I'm still like highly involved with um really critical patients mm. and I love like collaborating with my colleagues it's just it's I feel like it's like a perfect fit and I I think that getting an extra year of training even though you know it's it's gonna be another year of training <laughs> and um you don't get paid what you would if you just went into the job market I feel like it's going to be worth the, I mean, I'm already this far, you know, like, yeah. What's one, what's one more year <laughs> you know, let's add it on <laughs> at this point. It'll go by quickly. Exactly. And especially if it's something that you really want to do, then it's worth it completely. Yeah, absolutely. And now my boys are like seven and eight. Um, and they don't even notice they like are in their video games. They don't care if I'm here or not. Like they're just, Thank you for sharing that personal, very personal story. I think that it's really important to kind of let that be out in the open because Mm -hmm. that people are just not very forthcoming in general about like their step scores Mm -hmm. for one, um, let alone if they didn't pass the first time, like, or, or however, that's just like, 
just the stigma that comes along with it. And then I don't know. And, and then I also wanted to ask you, how did you feel after being that email? You know, up to this point, I had like been like failure was such a part of my whole process that by the time I failed in med school at something, I had really learned like how to use my coping skills. I was actually, I started on antidepressants my first uh, my first year. And I just felt like, you know, no matter what happens, I'm going to get through it. Mm -hmm. So I started taking the perspective of if I have any obstacles or any failures, instead of being sad about it, um, I mean, I'll let myself be sad for a day or two, but, <laughs> but instead of dwelling on it, I kept reminding myself, what are you learning from this? What is the positive that you can get out of this? What personality traits are you building? So just mm. continue to try to become a better person through all of that adversity. Um, and so by the time that happened in med school, I was just like, okay, like it's not my first failure. Like who knows why it happened, mm -hmm. um, but I guess I got to start studying for it again. You know, like it just, right. I just accepted that for me, failure is just as much part of my um, path as success is. Right. And I think that that's something that people on this journey, I think, forget that as much successes as you have, there's also a lot of failure yeah. that usually is not spoken about, which is, I don't think it's very, it's, it's not healthy because then it just kind of gives the perception of like, oh, like this person had no struggles at all. Mm -hmm. Like they just got to where, where they are and because they're amazing and we don't, we don't see the really, truly what, what goes on behind the scenes. So it's like a constant, I mean, I think medicine is just going to be a constant struggle. And when you see those attendings who are like, you know, they know everything and they seem to have it all. And you're just like, oh my God, like I want to be you when I grow up. And, you know, honestly, like they went through stuff too. And right. that's why I'm really honest with everybody that I meet, um, all, mm -hmm. all my mentees, pre-med students about just how um, uneven this path was for me. And, mm -hmm. and that you can still, like I'm li literally, and I, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I feel like all of that has prepared me to be the psychiatrist able to really um, empathize with my patients' failures and the things that they're going through because mm -hmm. I experienced all of those things myself. Um, mm -hmm. And so I noticed that my patient relationships are just so much sweeter. So it makes me feel like it was worth it. That's amazing. You're right. You're right. And all of those failures or, you know, there's always a lesson that comes out of it. And I'm so glad to hear that. That's kind of like, what was your takeaway, right? You know, like I said, I spent a lot of timeouts with on mommy timeouts in my closet, like crying. <laughs> yeah. And I, but I always kept my social circle um, and my friends. Like I still talk to my, my high school friends. Mm. My Grandma was a big source of inspiration and I just like call her. I have her on speed dial and I'm just like, I'm stressing out. And I'll share this with you because my grandma came here as an immigrant with six kids as a widower. Mm -hmm. and, um, she didn't speak the language. Like she just had to basically make it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, so she worked in the fields in the Central Valley when she first came here. Mm -hmm. I, would, I was crying to her once about step one studying and I'm like, oh, this is so frustrating like I just I can't believe like I have to study for this and she was like you know what like don't worry like you can do it she's like think about this you're sitting in an air-conditioned place 
you have everything that you need. You're not like lacking food. You're not working out in the heat, a hundred and like something degree temperature for like pennies on the dollar. And so she would always like kindly check me, you know, like, yeah, (laughs) and it is, it is a huge reality check. (laughs) Yes, you're right. Okay. I can handle it. I think that's good. She's like, you know, but I work really hard um, for you guys to have these opportunities. And I also, she also reminded me of that. And so when you have that constant reminder, you're like, no, I can't, I can't waste this can't let um, these opportunities go to waste because I, I saw how hard she worked. I saw how hard my mom worked. Just allow me to have access to an education. Right. No, that's completely true. Um, and I think that's kind of something that makes us unique in the sense of that we have these different experiences that we bring to the table because I feel that a lot of People who go into medicine in general come from very, you know, generations of physicians or just in general, like kind of more privileged um, backgrounds where they have access to tutors or, you know, just the things that we didn't really have growing up. And um, I think about it, too, with like my dad, he also immigrated here from Mexico and he uh, tells me, he's like, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how how you can be over there in Wisconsin and, you know, doing this all by yourself. And this is at the time when I was living here by myself. And I'm just thinking what do you mean? You don't know how I'm doing it. Like you immigrated here all by yourself and you know, you made it work. Like I'm still in the same country. You moved to a completely different country. Like, and you have done like amazing things to, to provide for your children. Like that's so motivating, right? Like, I'm just like, Oh my mm-hmm. God, you guys are just like, you go to a whole, I, I can't imagine moving to a whole different country, not knowing, mm-hmm. language, not having legal documents to be there and having to be in home right. all the time like so many things that I just right. I feel like dude, I have every I have access to everything that I need here mm-hmm. and somehow our parents were able to make it despite not having anything exactly exactly and then somehow even with us not having the guidance to get through like higher education or how to pursue this career here we are we you know those kind of values are instilled in us to like you know what figure it out you you got to figure it out and and get to it yes that is the thing that that like hardworking um moral fabric that Mm -hmm. is um just inherited to us um right um um, immigrant communities because I've seen it in not just Latinos but you know Latinos right. make this work we're going to make it happen and you just work harder and you right. keep trying uh, mm-hmm. and so I think giving up was never an option for me so I just felt mm-hmm. like okay there's a bump in the road so let me just see how I can maneuver my way around <laughs> yeah <laughs> Right. And so, and a lot of times, like now, like I said, when I talk to my patients, you know, I do like psychotherapy and um, meta management um, a lot. And I have patients who are going through really difficult, dark times in their lives. A lot of them suicidal. A lot of them, um, you know, have experienced like deaths in their family and just like so many dark times. And, And I can genuinely tell them, like, it feels terrible right now, but you'll, you're going to get better. Like it's going to be better because I've been there Mm -hmm. and I know, (laughs) I know how like devastating it can feel to lose everything, especially right now with the pandemic. So many people 
are losing everything, you know, losing their mm-hmm. jobs, losing their homes, losing everything. Some loved ones, maybe even. Some family so. members, exactly. And so um, I think at the end of the day, what's really important is just to highlight to them, like, look, we all struggle. We've all like had difficulties and barriers. And this is what I would say to med students too. Like, it's never the end. Like, if you don't want it to be the end, it doesn't have to be the end. It's just like, right. I mean, a failure is a failure and that doesn't define who you are. Mm-hmm. But def- what is most important is what you learn from those failures mm-hmm. and how you utilize that um, in your career later. I'm not just in your career, just in your life in general. Yeah. So I'm just like, okay, thank you universe for <laughs> that. <laughs> for all the roadblocks. <laughs> all of those things. Because I see a lot of people who go straight from like high school to undergrad to med school mm-hmm. never have had any life experience and it's a struggle once they get to residency because oh my god you know like I still don't have a life I you know like I got perfect scores but like I don't know how to multitask and I've, I've heard this a lot from from colleagues like I don't even know how to take care of myself like I mm-hmm. really like have been focused on my career for so long Mm-hmm. I don't know anything else. Right. Um, and so I feel like our benefits to taking an untraditional path and you just have to, you know, remind yourself or like highlight those to yourself so that you can remember like that you're going to be fine. And I think that's that's a, such a good point, too, that you make just because now that I'm in my like rotations, like I kind of see like my colleagues that have just had like the very like traditional path, like undergrad, straight to medical school, no you know, no deviating from the path. And I do notice that like, it's harder for them, I think, to kind of relate sometimes to some patients, um, like the struggles that they kind of go through. It is inherent to me to think about cost. Mm-hmm. Like if a patient did not make our meeting, I am not going to be like, you can't, you can't be in this clinic anymore. Cause there's a whole rule, like an institutional rule, like here, if you miss three appointments, then you're taken away from clinic but I always call them and I'm like what happened like what's the problem how can I help and a lot of times Mm -hmm. it's like um you know they don't have transportation right like they couldn't connect to the now that we have to do everything on on the internet um Mm -hmm. video they don't have internet at home like there's just so many things that when you come from that background like Mm -hmm. you understand like you just get it and you don't expect somebody to pay, um, you know, $600 for like a one month supply of something. Right. Right. Every time I talk to a patient, I have to consider what is their economic situation. Um, I will choose the least expensive of the medications that I think would be beneficial for them. Um, and not everybody does that. And so I think that those are all great things that your patients just appreciate so much. Right. Right. Well, we're getting close to the end here. I want to be respectful of your time. I usually like to end the podcast uh, episode with um, having the doctors kind of share some motivational words of advice to our listeners. So um, whatever you have to share. Yeah, I mean, I I will say what I, what I said earlier to you is that it's going to be so hard, especially if you are a non-traditional student and you feel like you don't look like you belong and you don't feel like you belong all the time. You may not belong in that space, 
but your patients need you. So like every time you confront a barrier, an obstacle, think about all of those patients that are waiting for you to become a doctor that like really, really need you and need your perspective Mm -hmm. and that love and care and concern that only you can provide. Um, No one's going to care about that. Like none of my patients have asked me, did you feel step one? Like, did you, did you you match the first time? Did you Mm -hmm. first like no, they don't, they, that's not what they care about. They care about like in that moment, like what you're providing to them. Um, mm-hmm. You are literally saving people's lives. So it's worth it. So I would just say like, even if anybody tells you, oh no, you can't do it because you didn't like get this score or like your MCAT wasn't great enough or like mm-hmm. you didn't have the best grades, like just figure out another way. Just never take no for an answer if this is what you really are passionate about, like if you cannot see yourself doing absolutely anything else, anytime someone says no to you, just like smile, like, okay. And then you go figure it out. You know, you get your your group together, get your family together, get your resources together, Mm -hmm. like figure it out because you're not doing it for those people. You're not doing it for the Dean. You're doing it mm-hmm. for the patients that are mm-hmm. on the other side of graduation, on the other side of residency, and always like keep those people in mind, keep those patients in mind, because that will continue to motivate you through all of it. That's really great. That's honestly such a perfect way to end, end this episode. Thank you so much, Dr. Patran, for, for being here with us today and for sharing your story. Um, I, you know, I hope to maybe have you again on the podcast at some point when you're in your fellowship or starting your first job, because I think that your story is just truly amazing and you have such great, great words of advice. Well, thank you for, for inviting me and thank you for starting a podcast like this, because it's so necessary, you know, like these little um, inspirational things that get us going, like, you know, like people will be like, studying for their MCAT and then they hear your podcast and then they're like, I can do this. <laughs> so, oh, so I appreciate <laughs> that you, you know, are creating a space for, for this. Thank you. And that's the goal just because I know, I know we all need to refill our cups somehow. So if this kind of gets anybody, even just one person through a tough spot, then it's all worth it for me. Thank you so much for listening to the I Look Like a Doctor podcast. If you would be so kind as to leave us a review on your listening platform, it would really help us to get the show out to more people. As a special incentive, if you have a question for the next physician guest or myself, feel free to leave that question in your review. Or as an alternative, you can also screenshot your review and email that to I look like a doctor at gmail.com along with your question. Thank you.